everyone, hey and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. This is your host Tom Quee. I want to start off as I always start off by saying thank you so much for listening. If you want to give back to the show in any way, you could follow us. Follow us on Twitter, at MetallicaPod. You could subscribe to us on YouTube, on iTunes, wherever you listen to. run pretty much all the podcast players out there. If you can't find us, let us know either at the Twitter or at MetallicaPod at gmail.com. I love having emails as well from people. Many people have got in touch who want to come on the show and review a song with me. If you're new to the show, we are going through... This episode slightly different. This is just an interview episode. So, but the majority of Alpha Metallica is going through their entire discography, song by song, in alphabetical order. If you want to come on and hop on, I've pretty much got all the A's and B's booked in now. But if you've got maybe a song lower down the uh, register, get in touch with me. MetallicaPod at gmail.com, at MetallicaPod. We also have a Patreon, if you want to give back to the show. It's patreon.com forward slash Alpha Metallica. You can see that in the description, all that good stuff. But yeah, my guest today, I mean, there are so many Metallica books. I've been, I've been, you know, I've been reading a hell of a lot. There really are a whole gamut of books written on this band. It's fantastic fantastic as someone doing a podcast to go through you know everything from kind of uh, the music and the mayhem which is kind of a more overview to stuff like um you know the, the some kind of monster book done by the directors of the film to everything in between and i think most people would agree really that the um recent two volumes that came out in the past few years this being birth school metallica death and into the black uh, the first one looking at 1983 to 1991 the second looking to 1991 to 2014 i've got them on my desk here they're fantastic volumes um, put together by Ian Winwood and Paul Brannigan and I'm majorly excited to welcome Paul to the show who um, you know was not only uh, editor of Kerrang um, you know music journalist and author in his own right huge Metallica fan he's put together these incredible volumes Paul how's it going? Uh, good, thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me on the show. No, it's it's great. It's great to have you on. And I guess we've got to start, as I start with all the guests, early Metallica experience. What was your first experience with Metallica? Can you remember? Uh, yes, I can remember exactly. Um, I bought a copy, my very first copy of Kerrang! magazine uh, in uh, a local news agent in Northern Ireland. And, uh, and the cover had Black Sabbath on the cover. It was the Glenn Hughes, Tony Iommi mm-hmm. lineup of Sabbath. And inside there was uh, Mick Walls. The lead review was Mick Walls 5K review of Master of Puppets. Mm. Uh, and I thought, oh, this sounds good. Um, yeah. And so, you know, went out and bought it probably the next day, uh, took it home. And at that point, I was already listening to metal. So that, I mean, that was 1986. I mean, I started listening to punk rock and stuff first mm-hmm. and then sort of got into metal. So I was really listening to, you know, Maiden and ACDC and Judas Priest and the, the sort of classic older bands. But this was obviously something new and something exciting. And it still felt like it was, they weren't, this wasn't the mainstream. And so this was kind of a metal band that could feel like, my metal band and mm. i think a lot of people with metallica that was their reaction to metallica it felt like well this is our band regardless of what point uh, on their journey that you happen to jump aboard mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, you know insanely jealous really that you got to experience them in, in real time like you know i sort of came on the metallica train like just have to say anger really which is always anathema for some people but i mean what was were, were there a big fandom in northern ireland were, were they a, were they a known band or um, they weren't a, a huge band, um, and actually, the literally the biggest regret of my life, and it's slightly sad in a way. Right. But the biggest regret of my life is that they they played Northern Ireland in 1986 mm. in September. So Master Puppets came out in March '86. They played the, their European tour with Anthrax supporting in September, and so I was 16 then. Right. And I. I couldn't get anybody to go to the show with me. I'd never been to a gig before because right. um, I lived kind of in the countryside and not that many bands came to Northern Ireland, frankly. 
Mm. And um, yeah, so I was lending people at this point. I'd, I'd already bought the, all three Metallica albums as, as it was then, mm-hmm. and I was lending them to people in a kind of oh, let's go see Metallica, let's go see Metallica kind of way. Yeah. And I distinctly remember one of my friends who uh, came back and he he listened to Kill 'Em All and said, "This just sounds like a crap Motorhead." <laughs> oh no! Uh, and it was like, oh really? And so nobody, I couldn't get anybody to go with me. Uh, I ended up not going. Obviously, literally a week later, Cliff Burton was dead. Oh my and god! That, and that lineup of you know Metallica, you know, wouldn't be around anymore. So it's it's a you know the hugest regret because they were my you know they're already my favorite band then. And had I been maybe even six months older or a year older, maybe I'd have had the balls to go up there myself and and figure out how I was going to get home. But I you know. At six, I was a pretty naive 16-year-old and didn't know how to do it. And, yeah, missed out on seeing my favorite lineup of one of my favorite bands. So Yeah, that's that's, that's crazy. Just on their um, Wikipedia now, it's Damage Inc. tour. And that was yes. September 15th, 1986. They played Ulster Hall. Um, that's so right, yeah. un- unbelievable, yeah. And then and then they went went on to uh, do a do a UK tour. It's crazy actually because I'm from Birmingham originally, and they played the Odeon Theatre, which is now just the Odeon. Um, so it's kind of mad that Metallica would have graced those halls. And yeah, you're right. Literally, they went to Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and then the rest the the next five or no, sorry, the, the next twenty or so dates are scored out because obviously they couldn't you know maintain those commitments. That is, yeah, I mean, crazy that even it was the the, the, the cliff burn example but i mean going forward from there you know what a joy to be in metallica at that time w- were you following the band closely through that kind of later 80s period oh yeah i mean obsessively i mean i mean uh, but then again obsessively in the 80s was a different <laughs> yeah thing than it is now i mean obsessively meant buying you know kerrang magazine every week and mm. buying maybe sounds magazine which no longer exists uh, anytime that metallica were in there and maybe Metal Hammer actually, I think, probably started right around the same time too. Um, so it was that kind of that kind of obsession. So you'd have to wait for a week to get the latest bit of news. Um, but yeah, they were my, they were my favourite band, and uh, you know, three quarters of the three of the four rooms in my bedroom were covered in Metallica posters. And oh wow, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I loved them. You know, I thought they were the greatest band. I was sort of going around raving about them forever to anybody who'd listen and lending the the albums out which is probably why my vinyl copies of the first three albums are so scratched and battered <laughs> right 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 and you know you mentioned kerrang early and obviously you know you, you do sort of um come to kerrang it's sort of is it it's kind of mid 90s you start the affiliation is that right well it was i mean when i started buying the magazine it was it was 86 yeah, yeah. when i joined the magazine i think the first thing i wrote was in 94 maybe. right okay Okay, okay. Um, so, I mean, by the time you got on there, you know, obviously Metallica had gone from Unjustice for All to, to the Black Album. So, 94 were kind of post-Black Album, kind of, I guess, I guess live shit had been kind of the most, the most recent thing there. Like, when you, when you were joining the magazine, I know, I know it was a completely different era back then. Were they one of the darlings of Kerrang? Were they kind of a common cover star kind of thing? Or uh, I mean, they were, but uh, uh, that was sort of, they were basically on a timeout at the exact time that I joined. So, right. You know, they they finished the uh, Wherever I May Roam tour or the Nowhere Left to Roam yeah. tour came towards the end. Um, so they finished that in sort of 93 or whatever. I started in 94. So there was sort of no Metallica whatsoever in 94. Then 95, they came back for Escape from the Studio mm-hmm. um, while they were making Load and Reload. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they were obviously darned. People loved Kerrang. Kerrang had an incredible relationship 
with Metallica yeah. um, in a way that no other magazine ever had. I mean, it was Xavier Russell who kind of reviewed them first um, back in 83 or 82, actually probably in San Francisco. Um, when Peter Mensch uh, wanted to manage the band, he rang up Xavier Russell and Lars mm. was in and out of the crying office all the time. Right. They were proper friends. I mean, there was, was such a symbiotic relationship then. I mean, Lars is obviously the ultimate PR man for his band, but yeah. he was also, you know, someone that everyone really liked, and they, he was a, you know, he had a really good energy, and they probably didn't know the rest of them just as well. But Lars was a constant presence, and you know, he probably in the Kerrang office more than some of the journalists were. <laughs> right, right, uh, and he he was one of the he was the first cover star of Metallica, wasn't he? Was it December '84? He did that really weird nuts and bolts cover. Yes, it was a Ross Halfin shot where he sprayed him silver. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and highly unusual, I mean, for the drummer of the band yeah. to be the cover star, you know, but I say he was kind of the face of, of Metallica as much as James was the front man. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people know the story of him going over to Diamond Head and like, you know, basically staying with them for a week in Stourbridge and just because he was such a fanatical fan. And I'm sure, you know, Kerrang was part of that. Like there was an issue. I, I was looking just just before we went on there, I was looking forward like Kerrang Metallica covers. And obviously there's so many, it's such an interesting kind of history of the band to see through these covers. And one of them is kind of your 30th anniversary cover. I don't know if yourself was at the um, helm at, at that time, but, but Lars himself, it's just a handwritten note from Lars saying what a massive part of his life Kerrang was. Yeah, I mean, I actually sort of commissioned the, uh, I mean, on the 30th anniversary, I wasn't there. But yeah. when it came to, I mean, I commissioned a um, 20th anniversary re-recording of uh, Master of Puppets. I remember that. I, re I remember buying that. And I remember hearing Fightstar do Leper Messiah and they killed it. Yeah, yeah. So that was basically my, that was my baby, mm. that project. Mm. And so it was obviously quite a personal thing because, I was super chuffed. I was the editor of the magazine yeah. that I'd been reading sort of since being a teenager. Yeah. And it's basically my, my favorite heavy metal album. And I was getting people like Machine Head and Mastodon and stuff to, to go and re-record those songs. And then I spoke with Lars for the cover notes. And and then Metallica, after that, ended up going out and uh, playing Master of Puppets uh, start to finish for the very first time. Mm -hmm. And I remember speaking to Lars backstage at uh, Download. And, you know, and I was like saying, you know, like you did that because we did this album, didn't he? He said, well, you know, you know, I did. You know, that was what kind of sparked oh it off. Oh, my God. That's what got us all talking and stuff. So he was like, yeah, you know, that was totally down to you guys. You know, that's where it came from. That was the original Jeez. impetus to do Jesus. it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. It's it's weird because like uh, I mean I shouldn't really say this while you're on the air, but I wasn't like a big Kerrang buyer, for, but but I remember distinct for no reason. Like I just didn't really buy it, but I remember distinctly seeing that Master of Puppets you know revisited, remastered, and I had to buy it. And just if people aren't aware of this, like you say, yeah, Machine Head did Battery, Trivium did Master of Puppets, Mendy did the thing that should not be, uh, Bullet for Valentine did Welcome Home Seratorium, Chimera did Disposable Heroes, Fight Star did Left Messiah, Mastodon did Orion, Funeral for a Friend did Damage Inc. I mean that is an absolute a-list a-list names like how did, how did how did this come together did you just reach out to the bands or yeah i think uh, we had kind of i'd kind of done a few things i mean it was kerrang's 25th anniversary year 1986 and so we had sort of i'd approached like managers and bands initially about doing uh we did one called a brief like we did two volumes of it called a brief history of rock mm -hmm. and we got like biffy clyro ended up doing buddy holly by weezer mm. 
and Gallows did Staring at the Rude Boys, and all these bands did these cover versions for us. And people like the Killswitch version of Holy Diver, which a load of people love now, that came directly from that. And a lot of those songs became quite iconic songs for the bands that were involved. Mm-hmm. Because we, we drew up a list of bands, drew up a list of 200, 200 of the greatest songs in Kerrang's history, or in metal history, essentially, and um, and said, right, who wants to do what? So by the time it came to the, the Master of Puppets one, we'd kind of got a bit of a good um track record and those issues sold really well i mean the still that that uh kerrang remastered issue is the biggest selling issue of kerrang in history wow. and it'll never it'll never be it'll never be topped it sold 131,000 or something Jesus. um which you know ma- magazines are lucky to do <laughs> copies yeah 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 no 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 com- yeah. completely and you mentioned earlier uh, you know speaking to large backstage so and obviously we'll get into the book in a second and the, and the book is kind of you know throughout uh our interviews from yourself and ian that you've conducted so you've you've met metallica in a kind of journal journalistic basic many times i imagine uh yes um so starting from uh 1996 really i went into the studio when they were uh mixing load mm. in, in new york um and yeah they hadn't even finished recording properly but i guess schedules were such that they needed to get the world's media over so even while um even while they were still working on the album they were already doing the promo for the album and yeah. um, so that was the that was the first time and then you know loads of sort of phone calls and i mean i don't not sure i mean i interviewed lars in la around the time in napster mm-hmm. where he felt it was so important to actually i guess this was a reflection of his attitude to kerrang he felt that Crying was one of the few places that would give them space and room to actually explain what the whole thing was about. And so it was a cover feature. So he personally asked, you know, can Crying come out and do this, even though there was no real budget at the time? Uh, yeah. And then just various sort of times since then, I saw them in Lollapalooza in 96 and, and uh, yeah, different encounters over the years. But then actually Ian ended up doing sort of more than me because I became staff on Crying. Sure. Um, and I that sort of meant that I couldn't really travel so much, and particularly when I became editor, I just hadn't really got the time to go and do that many features myself. So at that point, Ian was very much the the go to guy. And, yeah, you know they really liked him, and and Ian's a huge, huge Metallica fan. So um, yeah, so many of the interviews from sort of two thousand on, a lot of those were Ian's. Yeah, yeah, I mean. It's not, as I say, it's not demarcated in the book itself, but especially in Into the Black, which you kind of say in the acknowledgements that Birth School Metallica Death is kind of more of a relying on, you know, original sources kind of thing. And, the, and kind of Into the Black is when you became, you know, journalists inside the media themselves. And there's two interviews in particular that I love that I think were Ian, correct me if I'm wrong. There's one where they're on the private jet to Belgium on the load tour with James. Yes, which so, yeah, that was Ian, yeah, 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 which is which is fant- eye-opening, fantastic, fantastic interview, and also when they go to the compound in two thousand and three, just for Saint Anger's uh, released. Yeah, that was I was quite jealous of. Yeah. I, you know, I could, have, I could have sent myself on that trip, and I don't know why I didn't. Mm. <laughs> but uh, well, I think you know, it, so Ian's rapport with the band was so great, um, and it was so it was always sort of like a, a no-brainer, like oh, let's send Ian, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a band sort of necessarily request journalists. But it, it sort of sometimes makes sense to have someone that they're comfortable with and someone who's, you know, they think fondly of. So, um, yeah, Ian did did so much stuff around that period. And that, again, that was sort of a, a real Metallica fan's dream that he was what, you know, even there. So he's, you know, Ian's around the same age as me. So he's in his, you know, 30s, early 30s there. But he was walking around like a 
kid in the candy store, right, just his, right. his eyes popping out as he saw these, the different sort of parts of the history still in storage there. Yeah, oh my god, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, they Metallica have been very forthright recently with Death Magnetic and Hardwired, where you see inside the compound and them recording the songs, and you catch glimpses of, of flags or old merchandise. And in the interview, actually, in the book, uh, Ian describes kind of each band member's room that they has and kind of what's in there and how it's decorated. And, it, and, it, That's and right. it, you know, and it is it is tantalising, but. We'll get we'll get onto the books uh, specifically. I've already mentioned Ian because he is co-author. It is you know Paul Brannigan and Ian Winwood who wrote these books. Quite an unusual thing um, for a book to be written by two people, especially a, a biography. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we're just Ian, Ian and I've sort of been good friends for ten years or whatever. And uh, I mean, sort of, I think we explained in the in the back of the the first volume. It's you know the idea sort of really started in a. In a pub, you know. Yeah, I mean, big, big red I'd, was that. That's right, yeah. Um, so I'd already done a book at the stage on Dave Grohl, mm-hmm. and I guess I was looking to do another one. And I, I don't know, it just came out of conversations, and we sort of thought, you know, we, we did a lot of stuff together anyway, sort of collaborating in, in Kerrang, you know, just from the editing process or whatever. And it just seemed like, because Ian had done so much with him, you know, I, I guess, you know, I could have been like, oh, well, you know, I could try it myself and stuff, but it was like, well, you've got done all the interviews hmm. already, so why don't we sort of team up and we can probably do achieve more as two people than we could have done as one. And then we had the idea of doing it in two volumes and trying to make it a bigger deal than, you know, I mean, like you say, there are many Metallica biographies, so our point was to try and get a bit more in-depth than some of the ones that were already existing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, Ian probably did more, of the, well, certainly did more of the writing. I did more of the research Right. But it sort of worked out, you know, we both went off to San Francisco for a couple of weeks and um, sort of met up with people there and sort of checked out their old haunts and stuff like that, including the Metalli Mansion and sort of seeing Lombard Street where uh, the Battery Club had been and yeah. stuff. It soaked in the, the atmosphere of the place. Um, so it was fun. It was a really, a really fun experience. And, um, you know, we we had a good time. We went to Copenhagen as well to Sweet Silence Studios and hung out with... Uh, uh, Fleming Rasmussen for the day. Jesus. Um, um, so that was pretty cool, you know, for two fanboys. To yeah. Have Fleming Rasmussen come pick you up at the airport. Oh, uh, wow. And take you to his studio, you know, and you're sitting there listening to sort of original, you know, mixes and stuff like that. That was that was pretty cool. So, yeah, it was a, it was a fun time. And yeah, unorthodox way of doing it. And I'm not necessarily sure we'll do, you know, other books together. Uh, you know, Ian's mm-hmm. got stuff that he's working on, and so am I. But, um, it was definitely a, a, a good time and, um, you know, it was an absolute pleasure to work with Ian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, the, I mean, the process of, of, of kind of, you know, beginning the book in a sense of getting publishers interested, did you feel that there was that kind of, you know, obviously Metallica, one of the biggest bands of all time, it kind of, you know, were, were crying out. And, and say, I don't know if you're aware of Mark Lewisham, who's doing his sort of definitive Beatles biography at the moment. Kind That's of, right, yes. You know, kind of approaching it in a sense where there has been hundreds of Beatles books before, but there hasn't really been something that is so fastidious. And that, that's definitely what I felt in in your edition you know it's really really critical in, in, in the best possible sense of the word but i mean from from an idea into big red you know two friends in a pub to actually working on manuscripts how how long did that take uh far too long because of the, <laughs> the way the way that we operate but uh i mean i guess the, the conversation you know was the initial thing and then we put together a proposal hmm. and then i've got a, a a publishing agent who had set up the deals for the Dave Grohl book so he 
went and approached the same people and people he knew. And there was there was an interest. It was you know like five or six different companies in the UK were interested in doing something. And um, I went with the same. We went with the same American company that I had done my Dave Grohl book and stuff. So it didn't that bit was all fun and games. And then the actual manuscript just took us forever for some reason. Um, I guess we were constantly trying to add more bits to it and yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, I can't remember how long the actual whole process was from start to finish, but it should have been quicker. And certainly our editors would have been a lot happier had it been quicker because they were pulling their hair out by the end of it, just saying, please, please give us this book. Yeah. um, But yeah, we got there in the end. Mm -hmm. And was there any, I mean, you know, it's, it's a biography. So indicative of that is the idea of opinions, your takes on things, you know, might be different from certain other takes. Did you ever clash? Did you ever sort of disagree or? Um, there's the there's albums that Ian likes better than I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say you know I mean I think we're both fairly solid on the on the first five albums. Sure, sure. Um, then I I actually got to I mean he, Ian's a big fan of Load, mm-hmm. and I actually got to appreciate Load more than in the um, in the sort of process. Uh, and then we're we're sort of both on board for you know for the more recent albums. Uh, both of us reviewed Saint Anger. Uh, at the time, I reviewed it for Q magazine. He reviewed it for Kerrang, and he got you know he gets slightly embarrassed because he got overly excited about Saint Anger at the time. Right. In fact, he he went to the studio, that interview you mentioned they, where they played him back. He was one of the first people to hear Saint Anger in a studio, and Lars was sitting behind him. And Lars said, "You know what do you think?" And Ian, you know, to his horror, now says, "I think it's about the best thing you've ever recorded." <laughs> right. Right. Um, but it's it's easy to be enthusiastic when someone's playing you of something you've never heard before, and the band are sitting there staring at you mm-hmm. at the time. You know, it's easy to get carried away. Um, so yeah, there there, there are things. You know, obviously we don't have a, a sort of a one mind on, on everything, but uh, the way I mean, we both sort of both our writing went into the the album reviews. But I guess if there was an album that Ian felt more, whoever was whichever was felt more strongly about the album in question tended to be the one who focused a little more on writing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we mentioned earlier Mick Wall, who gave the 5K review for Master of Puppets. Obviously, Mick, uh, legend, you know, Kerrang! legend, outside of Kerrang! written written tons of books, including a book about James um, a little bit before you. Did you ever sort of chat, you know, as kind of fellow employees, that sort of any any ideas against each other? or? Uh, no, I mean, I've, I've spoken to Mick about, other things uh and i've sort of commissioned mick to write things in the past as well yeah. but no i mean you know i i don't know mick super well but um i'd sort of i knew obviously of him as a as a sort of legendary kerrang writer and when we had the magazine's 25th birthday celebrations i made sure to invite him and a lot of the old classic the old school writers who had, who had built kerrang's reputation really mm-hmm. to to the party and stuff but i didn't uh we didn't like interview mick for sure. the book sure. or anything i mean obviously his his you know his metallica book is really good as well as a lot of his books are um but i think uh, maybe we felt with mick's one that he again he focused uh quite a lot on the years that he was in contact with the band that was the sort of perhaps the predominant mm-hmm. weighting of his book in, in those years and i guess we wanted to try to maybe make it a bit more uh extensive throughout the throughout the career rather than sort of you know going big on them up to the black album and then sort of 
oh, and then and then all this happened. You know, we kind of wanted to try and give it equal weighting to all parts of their history. Yes, yeah, and I I, I agree actually because I, Into the Black was definitely the one I bought both of them at the same time. But I actually read Into the Black first just because I was quite familiar with their early days. You know, I just actually read Back to the Front, which I don't know if you've seen that. They're sort of the history of Master of Puppets era. That kind of yeah, uh, yeah, it's coffee ta- in front of me right now. Oh right, yeah, yeah, it's such a such a good book. Um, but I I kind of. I, I, I was desiring really a kind of critical critiquing appreciation of that load era, the S and M, you know, the garage days, that sort of which which the book fulfills. I mean, I want to urge people listening, obviously, to, to pick up this book if you haven't before. It has been a constant companion in my in my research for this. And I was quite interested actually because obviously Metallica, you know, you sort of refer to them as a mafia in 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 the book here and one of my favorite musical biographies is low side of the road uh by barney hoskins uh which yes is all, that's a great book yeah yeah all about all about tom waits and the the, the, the addendum of the book it, it's kind of you know hilarious but kind of uh wor- worrying in a slight sense as well it's all the emails that he sent to people that said they'd be on board and then tom waits gets whiff of it and then basically they have to send these emails saying look thomas said and you know and there's emails from like keith richards pa and all these kind of people tom's as well did you ever feel any pushback I mean, I guess Lars loved Kerrang, so was it a bit easier in that sense, or? Well, it wasn't. I mean, we, at the very start, so we, we actually, you know, in in full disclosure, we went to Peter Mensch, the band's manager, and said, look, we'd love to do something. And Mensch, in his sort of inimitable New York fashion, right. was sort of, uh, you know, blunt, but, but honest, but just said, look, you know, the band never endorse any of these biographies. Uh, ironic that you mentioned Back to the Front because it's the very first and only one yep. that they ever have endorsed because obviously it's about a specific period and one album. But um, yeah, so he was very upfront about that and sort of said, but, you know, knock yourselves out kind, kind of thing, you know. And so, yeah, we did it. But that, I mean, it was interesting. There's two people in particular that I uh, that I recall. that Well, one of them we did a really fantastic interview with and... Then he called us up, and I, don't, I shouldn't mention his name because he's kind of a friend as well. Sure, sure. But he's somebody very intimately connected with the band from early on, and and still a and still a big uh, big part of their life mm-hmm. in one in one of the big four bands, let's oh, right, say. Right, right, okay. And we went to his house, and we did this amazing two-hour interview, and it was fantastic. And then we got back to London, and got an email, and was like, "Boys, uh, you can't use any of that stuff." Uh, and it was like what and it's like look you know no offense but I, I thought this was an official book just because of the connections you guys have and obviously i've known you for a long time but uh i don't really want to screw things up for our band because there's you know there might be big more big four stuff going on blah 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 right. and, I, and i don't want to look like i've uh kind of you know stepped outside of the, speaking outside of the family as it were and obviously we had to we had to honour that, but it was a bit of a sickener because the interview was so good. Um, and then there was you know another uh, rock star guy who I you know I, I again I consider a friend, and we I specifically went out to Helsinki um, on the on the Black Album tour, right? Um, and met up with this guy in a bar, blah blah, and he. I was like, right, so we're going to do this interview. And he's like, dude, I, I can't I can't do the interview now. You know, I can't, I'll get into trouble. And, you know, I don't want to, again, I don't want to mess things up with the band. I don't want to be the one who's telling stories out of school, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and so, I did, you know, it reminded me, Metallica, uh, 
you know, up to <laughs> up to recently, uh, I've been you know they've always been very good to us. You know, I'd say uh, no complaints. They're they're really great people to deal with. Um, but there is definitely an element of you know if you cross the line and you mess things up, you know, or you step out of out of the line, then you will be kind of excommunicated from the family. Yeah. So I, so I get the sort of the power that they have, and I get that people don't want to screw up their own careers by you know mouthing off when they shouldn't be but it's, it's interesting you know and say it wasn't it wasn't so much a criticism i mean it's i guess it's also a reflection on the loyalty that they engender among you know their sort of peers or whatever but uh yeah i mean that was that was sort of the reason we you know we brought that up because i think people might not realize quite quite what it's like with a band on that level where you know they like to you know metallica have always been about maintaining control of their own world um mm-hmm. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily in people's best interests to, uh, you know, step out of line when it comes to dealing with that band and, and the management. Mm-hmm. And I found the honesty that you exhibit in the book really refreshing. Like, I think it's kind of the opening chapter of the of the first edition. You basically talk about their, I don't want to say woes, but the kind of money issues and stuff like that. The kind of, you know, the failed projects they've had, which kind of off the bat really makes you realise it's not going to exactly be like a hagiography. Yeah, well, we sort of want to, I mean, I guess one of the things, that you know i sort of mentioned at the start saying you know i felt like metallica was was my band when i was growing up and and ian definitely felt that metallica was his band as well and a lot of people you know almost everyone who gets into metallica that this they have this sort of connection where they almost want to take ownership of the band and Mm -hmm. whatever and inevitably in those cases your heroes are going to disappoint you on on some occasions and i guess we wanted to it wasn't like like no one's happier than us when metallica are on top of the world and writing the best songs ever because you know to me they are you know the first three albums are possibly you know the three of the greatest albums in the history of heavy metal um and but you sort of want to acknowledge their sort of human flaws too and some of their missteps but in in that way we also wanted to sort of suggest that possibly into the blacks a more interesting book than uh than the first volume Mm -hmm. because they took more risks and they did more stuff that was uh, you know, stepping out of line. There's, I mean, there's no other metal band. I mean, you think of the biggest metal bands in history, the the Maidens and the Judas Priests and and the Sabbath and whatever. And no other metal band has taken the sort of creative uh, leaps of faith that Metallica have. Now, not all of those have been good creative leaps of faith, but the fact that they do it and the fact that they have this sort of fearlessness still and this sort of ability to, you know sort of they still have a bit of an us against the world uh feel to them which was mm-hmm. exactly how they were in the garage in 1981 and that's sort of we find we sort of both find that very commendable even as much as some of the uh product that results from that can be not up to the standards which you know metallica might hold themselves to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know we'll uh we'll wrap up with a few few quick questions here a few few ideas um you end the book, uh, as you say, you, yourself and uh, Ian close the book with, with a slight scepticism uh, towards new music. I should say as well, the book ends in 2014. We're recording this uh, June 2017. What are your thoughts on Hardwired? Well, actually, we, we uh, were able to sort of include some thoughts on Hardwired in the paperback edition of the book. Oh, right. Um, okay. Because that came out... Uh, well, we, we'd literally heard the first two songs from it, I think, mm-hmm. at that point. Uh 
And so we were able to sort of update the book a little to 2016 if somebody gets the, the UK paperback now. Um, but yeah, we, we, we like the, you know, we like the new record. I mean, I, the Death Magnetic is, is a really solid metallic album, really great metallic yeah. album. But I think our thinking on that was that that was one of the first times, possibly the very first time where Metallica were consciously trying to sound like Metallica. Yeah. You know, because the backlash had been so brutal on Saint Anger, um, and indeed on the obviously the uh, the Lou Reed collaboration. Right. Uh, so that when it, you know on on Death Magnetic, it was very much a sort of circling of the wagons, and we're going to give you what you think Metallica is. Um, and I, I, even though the album's great, I sort of find it a bit uh, premeditated. Yeah. Or, Whereas the early Metallica albums and Load and Reload um, aren't in any way. They're, they're very instinctive and very instinctual albums and, you know, very much like we're doing what the hell we want to do, which was why so many people love Metallica. And so to me, Death Magnetic is an album that sort of second guesses Metallica for the first time. So as much as I like the songs, I'm never going to fully love that album. Um, and then the last album... Uh, Hardwired, I think it's got some really great moments, but I think, and this is a common complaint with Metallica albums since 1991, is that they could have really done with some serious editing on it. Right. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I say, you know, I mean, who am I to to make this criticism? I haven't sold 100 million records. Sure. But at the same time, sometimes you listen to a song and think, does it need that fifth verse? Does it need that fourth chorus? I think you know? that's fair, yeah. Um, and so I would like to have somebody who is more. I mean, when they had Bob Rock, Bob Rock was quite brutal with. Well, he was initially. This is the problem. Yeah. Because by the time it came to reload, he wasn't because he was part of the crew at that point and part of the family. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to to say no to Metallica had had disappeared a little bit. And I would quite like if they went in with somebody. I mean, they're never going to work with someone like Steve Albini, but you know, if they went in with somebody who's more of a producer. Yeah. Um, maybe a Nick Raskulinic, somebody like that. Sure. More of a, the, recently, they work with engineers. They don't work so much with producers. That's true. And it would it'd be nice to have somebody go, lads, actually, can we do a f- five-minute edit of this nine-minute song and see you? And let's just weigh up whether it's better or not. But, um, you know, so that's just that's just my opinion. No, uh, no. I, many I... people love, love that record, but for me, there's... There's an absolutely brilliant record within Hardwired that could have done if they'd knocked a song or two out and tightened up a song or two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think I think that's fair. I mean, we've got 12 tracks on Hardwired. The song Hardwired is three minutes, but the rest of the song, there's one song that's five minutes and the rest are above that, which is just, I mean, it's two discs as well. It, it, you know, they are a hundred million selling band, as you say, but it is slightly outlandish. So we'll, um, we'll close up with a few quick fire questions um, for you, Paul. The first one is your favourite Metallica song. Um, I guess I'd probably go with Battery, just right. because it's the first Metallica song I ever heard, um, and it never fails to sort of push the buttons. I mean, Orion is an incredible oh, song as, yeah. as well, but uh, you know, I guess if I could only listen to one Metallica song that I thought, or if an alien came down and said, you know, hit, give me a song that epitomizes Metallica, maybe I'd, I'd give them Battery. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a good decision. And what about your favorite album? Uh, Master of Puppets. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, it's got, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's got to be your your favorite member of Metallica. Um, you know, probably 
in an odd way, Lars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Lars is a really, you know, I know he's got a bad reputation, whatever, but Lars, is, he's quite the gentleman and he always goes out of his way to give you more time. He's one of the few rock stars. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of rock stars over mm. the last 25 years and Lars is one of the very, very few who every single time you speak to him, he says, have you got enough? Do you want another 20 minutes? Do you want to blah, blah? I mean, that never, ever happens. N- nobody does that apart from Lars. And to the point where, you know, it became a, a little sort of running joke at Kerrang, where Lars would be the only interview where you'd ask for less time, right. you know, um, purely as an affectionate joke. But Lars, he always sort of, you know, he takes care of people. He's a proper fan. And as much as, you know, there might be things that rub people up the wrong way, uh, there's no, he is the absolute heart and conscience of that band and they would be nowhere without him. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not on the Christmas card list anymore, but, no. uh, but you know, they've done enough sort of, uh, they've done enough good things for, for me in the past, including like recording a song for us when we did an Iron Maiden uh, tribute album and they recorded uh, a song, you know, exclusively for Kerrang, which they mm. absolutely didn't have to. They're the biggest band in the world. They, they, you know, they called us up on a Sunday night and said, hey, we've done, we've done this song, Remember Tomorrow. Do you, you know? Do you want that for the album? Wow. It's like, are you, are you insane, really? And, yeah. and, you know, that, and that album, it's it's come out subsequently, but that was a complete exclusive when it when it came out, and uh, they didn't exploit it themselves. They they let us have it, which was, you know, just mind blowing, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I guess I guess finally, I mean, we had the had the Dave Grohl book. Obviously, we've had these two incredible uh, editions on Metallica. Are you working on any other books on on, on music soon or? Uh, yeah, uh, at the minute I'm sort of working on a biography of uh, Eddie Van Halen. Mm. Um, well, that's cool. Is, is, is there a definitive Van? Because I'm I'm a huge Van Halen fan myself, but um, is there a definitive even like biography on Van Halen or? Uh, there are books. I don't want to get sure. into trouble yeah. <laughs> by, uh, by you know commenting too much on, on individual ones. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there are three or four books on Metallica, or sorry, on Van Halen. And actually, there's a really, really good one if you want to know about Van Halen's early years. Um, and the title of it is... Is it, is it Van Halen Rising? I've just searched that on Amazon. Yes, it is, yeah. yes. Uh, the <laughs> Mark right. Renoff book, and Greg Renoff book. And that that's a fantastic book. Ooh. I mean, it only sort of deals, I mean, deals with the band's sort of history literally up until uh, the recording of the second album. So it's basically only wow. on Van Halen 1. But that that's uh, a remarkable piece of sort of scholarship uh, that the guy did. He put in, you know, five or six years interviewing literally hundreds of people in Pasadena. And, um, you know, that's a really, that's a very definitive book and really wow. will whet anybody's appetite. Yeah, for yeah I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy that. <laughs> after, after this interview, I'm definitely going to buy that. I've heard of that. But it's going to, you're going to do like, it's going to be about Eddie Van Halen as a kind of biography. Is that right? Yeah, so, so mine will cover sort of the whole span really and and sort of trying to take in the the different sort of shifting musical moods you know that that went on over the period you know when they came out obviously they were kind of the new saviors of rock and then you know right around the time of van halen two people were saying heavy metal was dead and mm-hmm. and they came back and um yeah it's, it's just a, you know his story obviously as well being a sort of immigrant from from holland and it's sort of the you know the the American dream, you know, that the immigrant who moves to California and takes on the world, marries a soap, soap actress, you know, sort of the darling of America, and then has these downfalls with, you know, drink and drugs and uh, a sort of redemption story. And and then it's sort of, you know, dipped through different uh, aspects of 
you know his life and I mean he's a you know a, quite a compelling character Eddie Van Halen because he's a very shy kind of guy but then you know he's sort of one of the most influential I mean probably the most influential guitarist since Jimi Hendrix really yeah yeah and yeah. um I mean I've seen quite a few photos Metallica and Van Halen did a tour didn't they sort of late 80s is that right yeah it was uh, yeah it was the 1988 Monsters of Rock tour right. so uh, Van Halen just uh, it was like the second album OU812 with Sammy Hagar yeah. and uh, Metallica were doing Unjustice for All and it was I guess it was their first time in, in stadiums um, but they were absolutely killing it you know they were playing with like Dokken and Scorpions as well and um, yeah I think Metallica were just killing it every night and people were like oh my god you know who's this is the new this is the new face of heavy metal I guess you know that tour and the uh, the Aussie tour that Metallica did yeah. in US arenas in in '86 were probably the two tours that most set up Metallica for the sort of phenomenon that they are today. Well, Paul, this has been it's been fantastic. It's been really enlightening. Thank you so much for your time. I guess uh, is there any? Tw- I guess I, I got in contact with you through the Metallica book Twitter, isn't it? Do you have any social media or any any sort of way to get in contact with yourself? Or <laughs> to be honest, that that one's probably the best. I'm not right. really. I, I don't really bother much with social media, you know, in all honesty. But yeah, I mean, I sort of uh, vaguely monitor the the Metallica book one. So yeah, if people do want to get in touch. That's probably the best place to get in touch. All right, and I wanna I wanna just urge people again to you know pick up Above School Metallica Death and obviously Into the Black as well. You know, reviews are fantastic for this book. They are incredible books throughout the entire run. You know, I'm about six or seven songs in at the moment. I've got about 150 to go, and these books I always look back at them. I always refer to them. They're fantastic. So, Paul, I just want to say thank you again this has been uh, great chatting to you uh, thank you very much Tom it's been a, a, an honour to speak with you and a good luck with the rest of the series I'll be listening in and checking out what other people have to say too